Breaking. 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 Uh, imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. Hey, welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Breaking the Imposter. I am your host, Jermaine, and I'm excited to introduce my guest, Josh Doner. Instead of me going through all of the things of what you do, Josh, please tell the viewers a little bit about yourself. Let's go. I am so excited for this. Uh, my name's Josh. I've worked in marketing and sales at a lot of really cool companies, including Kobo and uh, recently General Assembly. And I recently just quit my job to start a new company called Gen Labs, and it's focused on building uh, experiences in Web3, which is the third generation of the internet, uh, which you can consider as like AI and blockchain. Uh, so I'm really excited about those. And we're going to help uh, kind of incumbent companies that aren't doing stuff in that space to start building product in that space or building consumer experiences in that space. Awesome. And with all of it being so new, like what, what role are you taking up in the new company right now? Yeah, so I'm definitely founder and CEO. Uh, my business partner, Damiano, is the, uh, the founder and CEO of a very large Shopify agency called Startup Slang. Uh, and they have obviously built on top of Shopify and have a really deep funnel of customers. And a lot of people come to them and say, hey, look, we want to do something in this thing called NFTs. We want to do uh, something in crypto. And they just didn't really have the expertise to answer those kinds of questions. And when I came to them and said, hey, look, I'm thinking of starting an agency, consultancy, or venture shop focused on this space uh he was really excited to work with me so yeah awesome and with this whole industry and it's like very new and it's very exciting what are some of the challenges that you're seeing needs to be solved for people that will come to your agency yeah i mean like crypto itself you know, there's been a lot of runs 2017 the last run uh people said oh this is a bubble it's it's not really that interesting and then it went through this cycle of you know people quietly building. Uh, however, the human capital, really quality engineers, quality people are like, you know what? I think there's something to a protocol on the internet that moves value peer to peer. We think that is a fundamental technology that could change the internet. Uh, and then fast forward to now, it's you know we're seeing Gary Vaynerchuk do NFTs and say, hey, this is going to be giving you access to my conference. We're seeing Mark Cuban say, hey, how about Mavs tickets, but we're going to do them as NFTs. And also there's going to be additional uh, things that people can win or access that people can get. And we're going to code that into the contracts themselves. So I think that is really uh cool and sorry i I, told, I forgot your question there jermaine can you just no worries no worries just quick. um the ux designer in me and like always trying to look is like what for the people coming to your agency like what is the problem you're looking to solve where's the gap that you really found where it was needed yeah i think education is where we're at right now there's a lot of people and like we got to understand that large companies people think well why can't they just use this technology and there's an often case there's regulatory risk to doing that, uh, or, you know, they have a product roadmap that they're adhering to. And sometimes new technology just doesn't fit, fit in with their customer experience or the consumer experience. And so it's hard for large companies to turn the ship, if you will, and say, you know, we need to be doing that 
crypto thing, or we need to be doing that AI thing, or we need to be doing VR. And while young people and uh, innovators, they get really excited and they're like, oh, I really wish my bank would custody my digital currency. Uh, it's really hard for, for big companies to do that. So what I'm trying to do is help educate people on and what these protocols do and, and how this kind of new emerging economy works. Whether we like to admit it or not, there's $2 trillion worth of value in the crypto economy. And that is real money. That is amazing. And to like this was an experiment 10 years ago, and now it's a $2 trillion economy. You cannot ignore that anymore. It's be, being harder and harder, and it's more and more career risk, especially for leaders at large, even financial institutions to say, you know, we're not going to do anything. No, you have to start doing something. And that's where we want to be is there to help them do that. Yeah. And I can see like where the education is really important of how to properly leverage the technology to make sure that your business is going to be a success. But one thing that I always am weary of is... With the technology being a little bit more peer-to-peer -peer and not a bigger governing system, how, how does one build that trust with the users, the end users that are going to use it, that their information is going to be secured? They're going to be okay if they make mistakes like forget password or um, lose the account, things like that. that. Those are things that I'm like really curious. Like how, how do you see that problem being tackled within that space? And you're 100% right, Jermaine. That is a really tough problem to solve. You know, I've moved a lot of funds in the crypto world, and I'm always like squinting at my monitor to make sure that I have the right address there. Because if a digit's off or, you know, I paste the wrong address, those funds are gone forever. They're just, they're locked away. And for some people, that's a really hard concept to understand. Like you log into your online banking, you always expect your money's going to be there. And you're, you know, expect if you send a wire transfer or transfer, someone on customer support, if you made a mistake, is going to be able to help or, um, you know, remedy that situation. That doesn't exist in the blockchain space. However, it's getting a lot better. And, you know, I've talked to a very large financial institution. I was talking to some people at TD, actually, and they're building a consumer crypto report. and. So just trying to gather information, I said, look, I think you play a very important role. Canadians have their wealth in this, and many Canadians, multi-millions of Canadians own at least a little bit of these digital assets. And it's your kind of responsibility to help Canadians store their wealth or their value. That's your bank. And I think what you can play is maybe you can't build technology or products there, but what about just doing education? Saying, hey, look, this is an emerging asset class. We think it's potentially could be very interesting. We want to help you be safe. And I think that's where, um, you know, you can help companies to understand it and kind of get them started is just educate their customers on how they can be safe and, and how they can use this technology well. Yeah. And like one thing that I really see or I'm, how I'm understanding it is, is we're really slowing down. It's like weird. It's like a crazy thing because it's funny because we spend so much time speeding up people in the internet who like make as many mistakes as you need do what you need to do get the job done and just that's the Go most fast. important thing yeah but with this new technology because there's going to be more ownership on the users themselves you might have to look into like how to slow it down just a little yeah. bit so that you're not like check it twice dot your i's cross your t's make sure it's good because like you know even though it costs you a little bit more in the time that you're doing it it saves you more on the long run because you actually own 
what it is, right? And I think that's like a really cool concept or like what I'm thinking um, based on how you answered the question. Yeah, and I, I want to go off that a little bit. Like there's a lot of case studies here. Facebook, for instance, uh, launched Libra, which was their first kind of crypto white paper. They have now rebranded that to DM. Uh, and they are very methodical. Like, um, they're thinking about like, all right, how do we make this work with the regulators? All right, check mark. You know, we did uh, hearings in Congress. You know, we're, we're working with the regulators to figure out, okay, what's the best way to have US dollar back, US dollars backing this and do this in a way that they are feeling comfortable that this makes sense for the US population and thus the world. So now they're at a spot where they're getting close to launching DM in this product. And overnight, there's going to be about two to three billion Facebook users that are going to have crypto wallets anywhere in the world. And that's an amazing thing. And I know, you know, there's a lot of issues with Facebook around, you know, privacy and data security. And, you know, our face is Facebook really good for the world. A lot of people ask that, but I think they're a platform that allows uh, you know, financial technology to get to a lot of people at once. And I think we need to invest in that. And, and the government definitely needs to be involved in making sure that's done well. Yeah, there's a lot of parties that have to come together. And I think yeah. as your mission is, and like what you were saying, educating people on <laughs> how could it be done? How could it be done ethically? How could it be done securely? Yes. How it could it be done so that it feels seamless to the end user? I think those are super important because as you said, whether we want it or not, we're moving in that direction. So it's either you get on the train or you say that the train doesn't exist. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's like 2017, it was crypto. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Now this year, 2021, it's feeling like this is almost inevitable. Uh, the amount of investment and people you know, joining these companies and getting into the spaces you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah, definitely can't ignore it. And I remember I was having um, a discussion just about crypto because it's like an area that I'm starting to even trying to understand myself. And I think, I don't know how many of you out there are really know about crypto, but it's like a lot of people say that there's no value in crypto. But then when you look at money, how it is today, like paper money, somewhere in history, somebody had to convince people that this piece of paper was worth two of your chickens or one of your chicken or yep. whatever it is like or this copper copper penny was worth a bag of rice like these things and these concepts are not very new in terms of crypto it's just having a roman coins gold yeah. silver yeah it's just having shells she shell yeah 100 percent seashells because like if people are putting value on it then you have to pay attention to it because now it's being use the USD, US dollar is being used from what you're saying. Yeah. It seems to be used as like a benchmark. So you now you have to be like, okay, now we have to understand these things as a benchmark. And currency is very important because currency actually is a communication tool. It's how we as people agree on the costs of things. And that is a very important thing. The other thing what currency does and enables is us to work on common problems. If you look at like an organizational company structure, why do people go to work? It's because they need to make money to make a living. Well, in that essence, currency is enabling us to work on common problems, build products, build things that are valuable. So currency is a very, very important thing. And I don't, I think people just see it in their wallets and they, you know, they pay for their Starbucks and it doesn't cross their mind, but 
uh, yeah, what they're using is actually a communication tool, very similar to how you communicate through information by texting on your phone. Uh, it's just communication through value. And if you look at what Bitcoin is and Ethereum and some of these protocols, all they are is a communication protocol for value. So if you understand that, hey, the internet changed communication of information, maybe there's something to this that the internet could also be changed by the communication of value itself. Yeah, and it'll take convincing because a lot of people would have to start to understand that concept again because yeah. like the more and more that we remove that actual physical transaction and movement, the less real it is in the physical space. And just like saying, like we were all about um, using our coins, using our, our bills to pay for things and understand money's being moved. But with the concept of the credit and debit, it's just like, you don't even see that movement. You're just like swiping and it's just like, you don't understand. And it's like harder to understand and go back to the base concept. Like it's the same thing that you're doing. That level of communication is now just being probably digitized versus being something that you hold in your hand physically. And guess what? Computers and algorithms understand cryptocurrency really, really well. You can train a computer or you can write into a smart contract to do certain financial things and they all it does is read the code and execute what's written in code. Uh, whereas a computer is not necessarily picking up the phone and calling RBC and saying, hey, can you move funds from this account to another account? No, that, that requires a human or an accounting department. Whereas computers themselves, as we see, you know, machine learning and AI and these computers and IoT devices starting to make transactions amongst each other, that's all going to happen over a crypto network. It's not going to happen through the legacy banking system. Yeah, and it, so, it sounds good in theory and the technology of it, but hearing that also gives me a little bit of pause. <laughs> but it's happening. That, it's right? happening today. It's happening already. There's a network called Helium, and essentially what it is is people have put up uh, Bluetooth low energy hotspots all around uh, northern, like all around the world. Actually, there's fifty thousand of these hotspots. And these hotspots are connected to uh, like, you know, IOT devices, and they allow those IOT devices to have an internet connection because it's very expensive for an IOT device to connect to 5G. It doesn't need that bandwidth. What an IOT device needs is just a little bit of a few packets of information. You know, hey, where's my dog? Where's my car keys? You know, uh, RFID tags used to be a thing. So where's my package? And so the RFID tag that has very low energy and it needs to send just a few packets of information, they're going to use a Bluetooth network, not a 5G network. So anyways, this Helium protocol has now allowed for devices to say, hey, I'm being used on this network. I need to pay the network. And they're sending these micro amounts of currency to whoever the hotspot owner is. And this isn't a theory, or this is like real technology with 50,000 hotspots in operation today, many of which are in Toronto, and people don't even know what's happening. But this is real technology, and it's really being used. It's crazy. It's crazy. You're thinking like, oh, yeah, I don't want that to happen. No, that sounds scary. That sounds too much. And then it's just like, oh, well, it's already happening. You don't know? <laughs> yes. It's amazing for people because... You know, I, regardless of your background, where you live on earth, um, you know, where you grew up, you can download a wallet and participate in a global financial system that, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't have access to. And in many cases, this technology, someone who's, 
in Kenya, rural Kenya, is they're plugged in and have a smartphone and have a wallet. They have better information than a trader on Wall Street these days. And that is a very democratizing thing. That's a brand new uh, kind of angle of the world that is really exciting. Uh, so I think there's a lot of benefits for people of decentralizing kind of the, the power structures of, let's say, finance and Wall Street. Yeah, and that's a that's a big fish to fry if that would if that's like kind of what the later and end goal is, especially when it seems like there's just hesitation from governments to adopt something like this. Um, yeah. So it definitely seems like those one of those like as we go, as we progress, maybe we get more like credibility, more legs underneath us, so that it's more acceptable to reach all of those areas safer. Absolutely. Safety is key. Yeah. And so with this industry, with crypto and even just starting your own business, what made you what made you decide on moving this direction? Because working on exciting technology is fun. Like, yeah, I, you know, I loved what I did at General Assembly. I was a live stream host and I absolutely loved bringing people together on streams. And I thought that was really awesome. I loved building a LinkedIn community you know, making sure we had great reviews on Google reviews. Those were all exciting marketing things. But one thing that I get up every day is, is just, I see the power of what's happening in this industry, in the crypto space, and the idea of kind of decentralizing these networks and networks competing with companies for market share, I think is a very interesting thing that's slowly being understood. And yeah, I just like being on kind of working on interesting technology. I think it's it's a good reason to wake up in the morning. Yeah, so that's what made you but like specifically going off on your own versus like joining another company that's currently doing it. Like it's amazing to work it. Why did you decide that making your own startup, stealth startup was like why you what you wanted to do? I think uh and any a lot of entrepreneurs might uh kind of understand this is if you know something that a lot of people maybe are overlooking or not seeing the potential in that is a very big opportunity and so if you have a unique skill set or a unique piece of knowledge uh i think you should explore that and so that's why i decided to go do my own thing is i i feel like i have a unique set of knowledge that uh will become more valuable in the future and so i want to realize kind of that that opportunity Awesome. And why Stealth? What made you to come up with the name Stealth Startup? Uh, Stealth Startup is actually like a placeholder uh, for what I'm launching. So the company I'm building is called Gen Labs. So it's G3N Labs. The three is a play on Web3, which is the third generation of the internet. Uh, and really quickly, how the internet works, generation one, the dot-com era, was a static web internet. Gen 2 of the internet was taking static websites, adding JavaScript and other languages on top and frameworks and building things like Facebook and then add on the mobile internet. So that was all Gen 2. Gen 3 is uh, defined as blockchain and AI. So that's how we're playing with the three on Gen Labs. But Stealth Startup, I went to LinkedIn and I just know that there's like a placeholder for people that are launching something but haven't gone public with it yet. Awesome. Awesome. So it's like the labs, I know labs comes a lot from like agencies and like they're used for yeah. that a lot is like, all right, you guys are going to be cooking something. <laughs> you always yes, cook we're something. cooking stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And just like 
I understand you wanted to work with cool technology and you see there's a big opportunity, but why would you even want to work in that? Or like, what makes you feel like you want to work in that as like a general industry and doing it? I think when you believe in something so passionately and and you believe something's going to change your world, you want to accelerate that. And even if you play a small role in building a few use cases out that other people come along and say, hey, that looks like a great business model that's not been done before. You know, we're a very large company. We're going to jump on that or we might hire you to help us build that. Uh, that's a great opportunity. Uh, I was one of the first 200 people in the world to own an NFT. I bought a bunch of these things called CryptoPunts. And those have since become extremely valuable. And I think what I learned there is those got me into a lot of conversations with a lot of different organizations that were like, search an NFT and they're like, how do I, you know, this is a buzzword that Gary Vaynerchuk's throwing around. What do I do with this? So, you know, they, they, they say, oh, Josh is talking about that. I'm going to go ask him about it. And that got me into a lot of really interesting convos. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk actually follows me on Twitter. Same with uh, Wilson Chandler, who's an NBA player uh, and a number of really interesting people. So it, it's, Yeah. So it's like just really working on your circle of influence in some area that you find really intriguing and like really needs to be talked about more, investigated more. Yeah. And when I bought my first uh, CryptoPunks, the idea that a, you know, 24 by 24 image could be worth, you know, $300 at the time was like mind blowing. I was like, wait, this image is natively worth money that could change the internet. And now people are like, well, NFTs is this hype thing. Look, NFTs has been around for a long time. It's just slowly being realized right now of what this, where this could go. And even just today or yesterday, uh, Candy Digital, MLB, Galaxy Digital, Gary Vaynerchuk started Candy Digital uh, for to basically tokenize the MLB. So, I mean, big people, big players are, are looking at this space for sure. Outside of all of this, outside of the work and the things that you do, because we've been talking a lot about that, how would you describe like your overall personal brand? That's a good question, because during COVID, I feel like this kind of came out. Uh, I was forced to stop doing in-person events, which are not necessarily digitally connected to doing digitally native events on Zoom and then being like, oh, I could just screenshot that and post it on LinkedIn. And that's kind of how I started building my personal brand is I'd have 600 people live on a live stream talking about, you know, LinkedIn or data science. I'm like, I'm going to post this, you know, and it started to build. And so my kind of personal brand is just I high energy, really super passionate person. And I, I love to encourage people. Like I love when people come on my streams and I ha- give them an amazing experience. Like, you know, I ask them what's on their Uber Eats, you know, I, what's on your Spotify, how are you doing? You know, and sometimes, especially during COVID, where everyone's kind of at home and and the early days, people were like, I don't know if I'm going to be employed next month. I don't know what's going on. Uh, It was nice to, you know, got a lot of messages of people joining these these sessions and just feeling like, all right, here's someone that's bringing some energy and we're going to go talk about something, you know, and uh, we're going to talk about LinkedIn, how to improve ourselves on LinkedIn. And that's a valuable thing. So my personal brand was very much built off of LinkedIn uh, recently. And I built it from 1,000 to 4,500 or 4,000 followers on uh, LinkedIn in, in like, I don't know, six months or something like that. So Nice. So it's just bringing life and the energy that topics need and subjects need. Bringing the hype. Yeah. Bringing the hype. 
Man, yeah. especially that's super important, especially like times of right now, where it's, we're literally capped at how much of that energy we can bring because we're we have so much distance between us. You can't feed off the energy in the room and things like that. So we have like one beacon of light that's given all that energy. You're like, I'm gonna take some of that. I'm gonna go give it back. I'm gonna give it back, pass it around. And even though we're all going through the internet, hope hopefully it goes through all those electrical charges. <laughs> that's it, man. You know, if you could just inspire one person on a live stream of like, hey, maybe I could do something in data analytics, that's a W for me. I'm like, you know, I ask people on the streams, and this is something, if you're ever hosting anything or a guest on something, ask people to add you on LinkedIn to say, how did you like the session? Even if they don't connect with you, just a DM saying, hey, Josh, you know, I just love to hear the insights that you had. That means so much. And it, it also gives you great feedback on, you know, what you can do for next time, what people want to hear. Then you get to see who's on your streams. You know, I've had some, you know, really senior executives from big pharmaceutical companies come on my streams to just average people who are you know trying to make it work and all those messages are awesome great Nivek. no matter who you're touching no matter who you're giving the energy to just make sure if you can get some of it back so you know you could provide more energy and more feel for the next person i know i definitely do agree with that even while i teach and i try to do with the podcast now i was like I get this energy from you. I'm like supercharged. I'm like, yeah, give it back. Ask, ask some more questions. Do some more of this. And just like really, that's what it's about. <laughs> and by the way, for your listeners, I, I work with Jermaine on, on some teaching stuff. And Jermaine is an amazing teacher, by the way. You should hire Jermaine if you are looking to learn something about UX. Honestly, love hearing Jermaine's lectures. You do a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That means that I don't have to do the honors of a shameless plug. No, you deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Going off on this new venture and we're going to have many more projects. I just want to know, um, last time that you went on a, a project or even maybe on this venture right now, when was the time that you feel like you didn't quite have the skills to do the work that you've put yourself in the position of? I feel like that every single day coming on this podcast tonight. I was like, do I, have I really done anything meaningful in life to be on this podcast? Like, do I deserve this or have I earned this? So, you know, that feeling crops into my, my head all the time. Uh, and I think it's just important to like, look back at what you have accomplished because I have accomplished many great things. I've, you know, launched an e-reader in nine different languages in 16 countries around the world, right out of university. That's an, for one of Canada's tech darlings. That's an amazing accomplishment. I've worked with great clients. I've helped build a general assembly to be a, a, you know, a reasonable, pretty interesting education opportunity in Canada. And, you know, I've done stuff in crypto and NFTs that are really interesting. So, you know, I look back at that. I'm like, okay, so check, check, check. I've done some stuff, but Every, all the time, there's that doubt, you know, do I, should I be here in this conversation or is there someone that should be? And you just kind of got to, you know, you got to trust that, you know, someone reached out to you and said, hey, do you want to join me for a reason? And you just got to go with that. So I think it also is a driving factor as well. Yeah, super important to be like, well, maybe I don't think that I belong in this place, but somebody does. So maybe I should just act and just be in the space, allow myself to be in the space. I always say like with inclusion, 
um, not only about letting other people include you in the space, like how do you, how are you including yourself? How are you making sure that when you get these opportunities, you're not the one that's saying, oh, you're not this or you're not that. You shouldn't be here. It's like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good here. I like it here. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's funny is like, it's pretty rare that someone says you shouldn't be there versus yourself telling you you shouldn't be there. And that's a big indicator. Oh, 100%. Like I've... I've definitely had 99% where it was me that's like, oh, no, I shouldn't be there. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough visual skills. I don't have a track record of doing this. And be like, wait, why am, why am I the only one voicing these things and preventing? And then going back and telling the people that I think is preventing me and saying, sorry, guys, I can't do this. Because it's like, it's not there. It's not them. It's me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I told you, how do you kind of deal with maybe imposter syndrome this is the the title of the podcast how do you deal with that so it's funny you asked me that question because i was right about to ask you that one myself but just in terms of my perspective i really um this is a practice that i've started doing a lot more recently and it really really learned it a lot because I, I work with a coach and they helped me with it and it's just really taking a second and putting myself in a state in a place where like I really felt that I did great work. Like I go back to the time when I was in Okinawa and I was getting my black belt and just trying to relive that experience and get a feeling of like, okay, where was I? How did I feel? What was my, what was my stance like? Cause like if I'm slouched and I'm like, whatever, it's like different than when I'm like standing up strong, feeling strong and things like that. And just like make my body feel that way. And I'd be like, okay, all right, we're feeling good. And then start looking at like, why am I here? What are things I tell myself and remind, and like one thing that I have to do constantly is be like, I may not have to be perfect, but I'm going to do get the best outcome that I can because I showed up today. Um, and just I like, kind of instill that in my body. And like the one word that I always would like to state that I kind of like to go in, I'm like a kind of big Tony Robbins buff. So I always like look into his Love ideas. Um, the state I always look to get into is composed. And I know when I was there in Okinawa, right before I had to do any tournaments, before I have to act, before I have to teach, do I do anything else? I always get to that place of composure where I just feel grounded and I feel good. And I'm like for the regular day-to-day -day stuff, I feel when I bring that in, it'd be like, oh, it's not that super big, crazy thing that I'm like, oh yeah, I must yeah. be great in this. It's just like, this is just how I could be and allow myself to be on a regular basis. Um, and that's kind of like what I aim for. Yeah. And, and showing up, I think ready and composed, because I, I have seen you, you, you do show up that way. So I, I see that. It, it makes other people relax and it makes other people feel comfortable about the space that they're in as well. Uh, and I think about this a lot because empathy is like one of the most important character traits that I, I definitely possess and understanding, okay, how are my guests perceiving this session or how am I guests feeling comfortable in this session? And yeah, like, like you mentioned, I, I think being composed for me, it's like, the pressure of the session just brings me to step up that game. I, I really thrive in the pressure. It's a procrastinator's thing is like you, you procrastinate long enough and then there's pressure there. And that's where I do my best work. And I've, I've learned to embrace that instead of thinking that, oh, that means I'm lazy or, oh, that means I'm not good enough. I, I've just said, you know what, I'm going to do what I need to do when I need to get it done. Yeah. And I think that's super important for us to do. And let's find out where do we go when that, those moments when we did stuff where we thought was great. 
and then find that place and then try to repeat it, try to get back there. And usually the worst part is before. Even before coming to the podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I feeling a little ill? Am I feeling a little yeah. bit this? Maybe, maybe <laughs> should I should I cancel? Should <laughs> yeah. I cancel? Should I be doing this tonight? Like, you know? oh, maybe I should, maybe I should um, say like I'm, I'm cat sitting. So like, I don't yeah. want to disturb the cat's peace and like trying to find all these reasons why it doesn't think. But like yeah. when I'm in it, it's just like, I'm in, I'm here, I'm good. I'd be like, why, why do I have all that like preamble and all that song and dance yeah. beforehand when like. I know when I'm there, I'm good. When I'm doing it, I'm good. <laughs> Mistakes. And I and feel like if if we didn't do this tonight, I, I would have felt like I, I missed out on an opportunity to connect with you at a minimum. Yeah, exactly. It is be like, well, I promised this person I'm not gonna go and be like that because I know that I'm gonna get value from them. I know I'm gonna try my best to provide value for them. Let me show up. Just show up. It's not gonna yeah. be perfect. I'm get there plenty of times. Even that sentence I was just about to say wasn't perfect but we're here we're doing it and i'm so grateful to have you like honestly yeah and if you're listening to this like i think just dm people talk to people you know how many of my friends that i'm the i call them and they never call me or like you know i dming and and you know i don't know if they're gonna dm me back like don't worry just try and get people on the phone get people on zoom pick up the phone call someone uh, it's important that people hear from you. Uh, there's, you know, I used to hang out with friends at birthdays, New Year's Eve, Christmas, all this kind of stuff. None of that happens anymore. And it's, you know, unless you, I'm putting the challenge on you who's listening to go and do the DMing and calling. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Cause it's like, it's like a weird phenomena where everybody's like, Oh, I don't want to impose. I don't, yeah. they're, they're probably busy. I know that they're doing a bunch of things. And then like you make the call and you're just, you're just in it. And it's like, why did I, yeah. why am I making so many excuses for them? when i know i need it as well i know they every zoom is a business meeting like no it doesn't have to be exactly exactly and the current path that you're on right now and just looking at all that you're going to be looking to accomplish what is one thing you feel like you had to give up on in your pursuit of this oh good question i don't think i really gave up anything. I think right now I, I'm not getting a paycheck uh, every bi-weekly. So that's stressing me out a lot. Uh, I just bought a house and I have a child on the way. And I think a lot of people in society would be like, dude, you're crazy, which I am definitely crazy, but that's, that's okay. Yeah. So giving up stability definitely on this path is, is going to be a bit of a challenge, but that's okay. That pressure is kind of what sometimes you need to to figure it out, to you know, figure out a way that to when a client, an inbound opportunity comes and a client calls you to figure out what is the easiest way that I can make this work with you. You know, how can I work with you? Find all those little objections, get rid of them and say, you know what? I and in your mind, you're like, I need a paycheck. But in their mind, it's like you just want to service that client and and find a way to make it work. Yeah. And where in other areas of your life have you kind of found some of this stability to make it like not feel as big of a gap? In terms of like what I kind of do to just, you know, process everything? Well, it's because like what I'm understanding is like the aspect was the stability piece. But yeah. from what you're saying and what it sounds like, you might be finding that stability other areas that ne necessarily your work. I was just wondering like, how are you? refocusing that energy in other areas where it doesn't feel as missed. I think what 
I would say is like right now, I, I don't feel as stressed because I feel like I'm working on something that I has true meaning. And I know that being part of the crypto ecosystem for so long, I, you know, it's done really well financially. It's, it's money on the internet. And so that the financial side doesn't, doesn't worry me much, but I don't, sorry, Jermaine, I don't know if I, I oh, answered that. No worries. No that. worries. And I think part of the realm is where I'm not only looking at it on the financial side, Whereas yeah. like there's other aspects like within family, within your relationships, within like even what you're doing in, in your house. Okay, yeah, yeah. Things like, like how are you finding like still the concept of stability, but you're just reframing it, not just being about yeah. like, financial. I, I definitely think Warzone. Uh, so if anyone plays Call of Duty Warzone, uh, I'm on there with my friends, you know, at least every other night. Uh, maybe a couple times a week. So I think that game, you know, I used to look at gaming as like this kind of like, oh, it's a time waste. But now I look at it as like, wow, I actually spend time communicating with people that I love. And yeah, so Warzone's been one. I definitely renovate. Uh, I think part of this question that I want to tap into that of what you shouldn't do is I spend way too much on my phone, way too much on Instagram. So definitely one thing I did early on in the pandemic is I actually deleted Instagram and all the only apps I had was Twitter and LinkedIn. And I found that I got really engaged with LinkedIn and I found community in people on LinkedIn that I didn't know. And that was awesome. Uh, LinkedIn is super engaging. I know people are like, well, I don't want to accept the LinkedIn contact request if I don't actually know them or I don't work with them. I feel like you should accept all your contact requests and go from there. Yeah. I found solace in that. Yeah, I'm under I'm under the same I'm under the same like vein of thinking. Like if you if you just reject people from LinkedIn because like I don't know this person, I think that's one of the is one of the weirdest things that you could do and one of the most like douchey, for lack of better word, things that you could do because that person might be looking for value from you and be like, hey, may not add you um take your um accept but acceptance but i'd be like follow me instead if you really do want to find value or things or content that i share or something like that but just flat out like nope unless like there's somebody from unknown country and unknown company and looks super sketchy what's the harm <laughs> and then look like there's a lot of people are selling stuff on linkedin but if you find people that aren't there are many people that reach out to me and just say hey i'm, I'm looking for help career-wise, what do you recommend? Like that's an opportunity. You don't know what that person's going through and you could actually be really helping that person just by grabbing coffee with them, doing a quick Zoom chat. I'm also a big believer of not necessarily connecting with people. If, if there's, let's say you want to do product management in Toronto, what I would do is go to the search functionality. I would search Toronto and then product management and a bunch of people will come up and just Click on their profile, follow. Click on their profile, follow. Not connect. So click on profile, follow. And then as they're writing content, you can chime into their com content. You can comment on it. Add value to their conversations. Add value to their posts. And I guarantee if you ask someone in their comments and say, hey, you know, I love this, add value to the post, and then say, hey, can I get 30 minutes of your time? That's a very public thing. They're very unlikely to say no. And the response rate there is like 80, 90%. Nice little extra tips on how to, how to connect with people on LinkedIn. So 
every time, every podcast, every episode, I like to go into a section that I call the rapid fire segment. This is where I'm looking for the best nuggets that you have in the shortest time frame as possible. Really just looking for things that the users could take away, the listeners could take away. I'm so used to saying users uh, in my life. But I like it. They can move forward within their life with that piece of nugget. You ready? Let's hit it. Let's do it. Awesome. So what is one attribute that has contributed to your success slash growth? Hyper empathy. Hyper empathy. Can I add another one? Yeah. Being extremely curious in technology and hyper empathy. Awesome. And who has been a great inspiration for you? I have a list. Elon Musk, Anthony Pompliano, Gary V, Mike Novogratz, and my current co-founder, Dom Yano, CEO of Startup Slang. Uh, really quickly, like Elon, I just think is working on problems that allow us to kind of just see into the future. I know it's a prototypical answer. I read his biography recently. And one thing you learn about in his biography is everyone sees the success, but this guy went through absolute, you know, hardship to get to where he is. Companies failing, you know, coming from South Africa to Canada and then to the U.S. He worked like cleaning out boilers of a wood processing plant that was extremely dangerous. Like this guy did it all. So there's a really good lesson on, you know, how to grind through some, some crazy stuff. Fantastic. And who has been your biggest cheerleader for your success? I have my wife written down here, so I'll, I'll go with uh, my wife, uh, definitely. But I don't know, there's some people on LinkedIn that genuinely care about me. And uh, I did, a because I left GA recently, they did a, uh, a kudo board. And I think in our own mind, we're like, oh, you know, my work at whatever organization maybe wasn't that impactful. Until you read your kudo board when you leave and everyone's just giving you all this love and saying, Josh, you know, you helped me do this or, you know, we innovated together on this and it turned out to be this big project. So you, re- you got to understand that you have a bigger impact than you think you do. Awesome. How do you celebrate your wins? Oof. I like to kind of, I like to post on LinkedIn for sure. I think things that I'm excited about there, but. Uh, this is a great question. I, I don't I don't really celebrate my wins probably as, as good as I do. Uh, probably having a, a beer and hanging out on Warzone with my friends is a good way to celebrate the wins. Grabbing a nice dinner. I love food. So guilt-free gaming and going out to eat. Yes. <laughs> What's one lie you had to stop telling yourself? That I'm not capable. That is a lie to yourself. And what's one hobby that you do outside of work that keeps you grounded? I think you mentioned one, but is there anything else that does? Definitely the crypto stuff. I I just love that community. It's super engaging. It's, uh, you know, everyone has their own version, whether it be sports or whatever communities, but be in discords. I think go find discord groups of what you're passionate about and you'll find great people there. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, just know that your life is very interesting to other people and more so than you think yourself. And I think that's something that when I started investing in LinkedIn, you know, I thought, you know, I'm chopping wood and, you know, I feel a certain way early on COVID. I'm like, ah, I don't think I'm going to post that. But I ended up posting it and it got great engagement. And people are like, hey, you know, like, 
this is my thing I love to do during COVID. I love to go for bike rides. And it just started in the comments, this conversation. So just realize that when you're talking and posting and sharing stuff about your life, that it is very interesting to other people, even when you don't think it's interesting to yourself. Great. And if you had 60 seconds with yourself when you came out of high school, what advice would you give him? Not stress over university. <laughs> I think I stressed out over university. And uh, looking back on it, you know, I think university is great to help people grow and whatnot, but I did not feel like the skill set I needed today was driven out of university and that I learned that afterwards. And uh, so if you're a young person going into university, going to the post-secondary, which I think this is a great message is don't stress about what you're about to learn, if it's the right stuff or not. Go and enjoy yourself for that, you know, four years learn things that are interesting to you and, and just know that after you're done school is when you get to learn and kind of find your own path and do stuff that's interesting to you. Don't do stuff that doesn't interest you. That's like something that in university, everyone said, Oh, you have to go to university. You have to do this. You have to get this career. Nah, do stuff that you you're genuinely care about. What is one book that you'd recommend? Elon Musk's biography. I just read it uh, by Vance. I forgot his last name, but yeah, by Vance. Really great, uh, well-written, and it goes through all his struggles. And it's, you know, you learn what he did at Tesla and how the company almost collapsed because all the parts didn't come at the same time. And there was a global supply chain and this guy had to figure it out. So and if he didn't figure out, it all went to zero and we wouldn't have the amazing innovation we have today. So yeah, read that biography. That's a really good one to just put some perspective, hardship and whatnot. Got it. Gave a little teaser of it as well. Um, what's one piece of parting advice for the listeners? Listen to content. You can learn a lot of stuff on podcasts. You can learn a lot of stuff in Twitter. Call your mom, call your dad. I think we also understand that life, my parents have aged during the, the last two years and I haven't seen them for a very long time. And I think that time is running out and understanding that time is a finite thing. We don't think about it. We actually want time usually to go, when you're in university, you want time to accelerate, to get after university, but cherish that time because I know it's cliche to say, but I should be calling my mom after this, which I'm going to do. So call your moms, call your dads and, and tell them you love them, your family, your wife, your girlfriend, whoever it is in your life. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of listeners are probably going to take that advice right away as well. And call it's a it. challenge. After this podcast, <laughs> call your parents. And what's the best way for the listeners to reach out to you? Two ways. LinkedIn, uh, DM me, Joshua Donor on LinkedIn. Uh, currently work at Stealth Startup, or, but just search General Assembly, it'll pop up. Or on Twitter, I'm Kin adds Josh, so K I N A D S Josh on Twitter. Twitter is where you'll see the little CryptoPunk head that I use, but uh, either of those, just DM me there and I answer all my DMs. Awesome. Dedicated man answering all his DMs. That's a lot of work <laughs> for a lot of people, but I'm so glad that you provide value for them and you also came to provide value to the listeners today. Appreciate you coming, Josh. I was so happy to have you here. Thank you, Jermaine. Love you. Thank you so much. And love you, all the listeners. I appreciate your time. Awesome. And that's another episode of Breaking the Imposter. I hope you all learned a lot. I know I did. And I'm going to see y'all in the next one. Peace. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken.